Welcome to the Edge Podcast, your home for recruiting news and team analysis inside the Oregon State Beavers football, basketball, and baseball programs. BeaversEdge.com is the authority on all things Oregon State athletics. Now, here's your host, BeaversEdge.com editor, Mike Singer. Welcome out, everyone, to the Edge Podcast. We have a jam-packed show today. Uh, Brendan and I will be talking about spring football, baseball, women's basketball. Oregon State even got a new uh, men's basketball commitment on Tuesday evening. Um, we have a really cool guest today in Rivals.com national recruiting analyst Adam Gorney. Uh, he'll be joining the show to talk about some of Oregon State's uh, 2017 signees and 2018 commitments. So that'll be really something to look forward to. And of course, we'll end the show talking about. Um, or answering some of the questions that we receive from the message board. Definitely some good questions that Brendan and I have done our research on. So, Brendan, first of all, let's just talk about the spring game. Obviously, it's the, you know, a big thing that happened over the weekend. So, uh, I wrote a story on my main offensive takeaways. What what did you see overall from the spring game? Well, yeah, you know, Mike, uh, I talked as as our Beavers Edge premium subscribers saw. I pretty much talked to everyone. I think I got us, you know, four or five different videos. I think from seven. I think it was six uh, or seven. Okay. Well, anyway, going above and beyond, I suppose. But um, the real let, let's start with the quarterbacks because that's obviously what everybody wants to know about. And to be honest with you, Mike, and for all those listeners out there, it's Gary Anderson was extremely cryptic again. And to be honest with you. You know, Jake Luton looked good early. Uh, then down the stretch, you know, he threw a couple picks. Um, Daryl Garrettson looked better than he has for a lot of spring. Marks McMarion looked good. That's the thing is right now, Anderson said in his video, they have three quarterbacks they feel can play Division One football. And until one of them steps up and makes the quote-unquote special plays more often than not, then they won't be able to name a starting quarterback. So that's something to keep an eye on moving ahead into fall camp. That'll start in late July. Uh, this upcoming year. And then the other thing I was intrigued with was just the defense in general. The defensive backs looked like they played a lot better. The defense looked like they played a little bit more physical, got after the quarterback pretty well. Um, And then more than anything, uh, one thing that I did notice that I necessarily maybe wasn't so thrilled about Mike was uh, not a whole lot of fan support at the spring game. Not as much as I'd seen in years past for Gary Anderson. I'm not sure if it was the timing on a Saturday but, um, yeah, only about maybe a couple thousand people there. It wasn't, uh, wasn't nearly as packed as I thought it would be, so intriguing there maybe. Yeah, um, I want to give my two cents on the quarterback race. Um, and this is actually a, a question that I'll dive deeper into. We got a, a good question from the message board. But I was pleasantly surprised um, w- with Garrettson. Um, I thought he looked like the Daryl Garrettson we saw in the Minnesota game. When uh, he was just off the top of my top of my head, I think he was twenty six of forty through two hundred thirty ish passing yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. I think we saw that Daryl Garrettson. I was really impressed with Marcus McMarion's deep ball. Uh, there was the one that I believe it was Hawkins dropped over the middle of the field, and um, that would have been a touchdown. And he looked really good. You know, zero interceptions, and I would have to say that he was the best quarterback. Uh, Definitely consistency, just looking at consistency. But overall, I think he was the best quarterback. And Luton, I've been saying this about him for a long time. He has, I mean, I call him a boomer bust guy, if you will, in the sense that sometimes he is just fantastic. And then sometimes, you know, like on that Wesley Payne interception he threw, eh, you know, you see a little bit of a potential bust risk in, in Jake Luton. So 
you get the re- you get the really good with Jake, and sometimes you, you will get the bad with Jake, like we saw um, his sophomore season at Ventura, uh, his community college last year, threw a lot of interceptions, but you know he would have six touchdown games with like three interceptions. You know that was just the kind of gunslinger that he is. Um, but I also have to remember that he's just been with this program for two months. You know he came in in January, um, and I think if Oregon State had their first football game tomorrow, I think Jake Luton would be the starter. You think that's fair? Yeah, I absolutely think that's fair, Mike. You know, um, as you kind of look at it, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's hard to tell only because Gary Anderson and McGibbon have been so cryptic this spring about, you know, who's there and all that kind of stuff and who they like at the position and that kind of thing. They haven't been but, saying it, but just by their actions, Jake Luton's been the guy – to right. take reps first in all of those practices and scrimmages, and he came out first in the spring game. Yes, he did. And, you know, as I and as, as I know pretty well, Mike, because we've been putting in our practice reports uh, week in and week out, hard to believe spring football is already over. But Jake Luton, pretty much after the first day, Mike, was the first quarterback to get reps. Yeah, um, I think that he's going to be the guy. Um, and, and, you know, we talk about all this quarterback stuff, but – I think that it's still going to be a, 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 a it's going to be a balanced offense, but it's going to be run first. So while we get all into the quarterback talk, at the end of the day, it's going to be Ryan Nall and Artavis Pierce uh, running the ball effectively that will open up the pass game. Let's talk about a couple of the receivers that I think have really impressed us so far this spring. Uh, Isaiah Hodgins, he didn't start, I believe, but. I think his first play, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, his first play in that spring game was the post route that he caught uh, down the field. Um, so he was really impressive, as was Hunter Jarman, of course. Uh, his touchdown on the first play of the game, um, on the trick play. Uh, yes. And he just looked great overall. What was kind of your impressions of those two guys? Well, actually, Mike, I am going to correct you because uh, Hodgins actually did start in okay. that game. And uh, I think he played well. Uh, again, I still think that arguably Oregon State's one of their most dynamic and unique players they've ever had in Oregon State history is still not 100%. And that's Seth Collins, because I still think Seth Collins, his uniqueness and playmaking ability hasn't even been tapped into yet. And that's something people are kind of forgetting about with the emergence of Jarman playing a lot better, Hodgins playing really great so far in practice, and Villeman hopefully making a resurgence is – you got a guy like uh, Seth Collins who could step in and be a thousand-yard receiver. He has that ability and that talent. You also have a guy like Andre Bowden who can come in. You have a guy like Xavier Hawkins who's going to be heavily involved in the fly sweep. You have a guy like Trayvon Bradford who's going to be heavily involved in the fly sweep and made some big plays down the stretch for you last season when Seth Collins was hurt. So they're very deep at wide receiver. I like the depth. And I think as long as they stay healthy, they can have a pretty dangerous receiving core this year. I mean, just talking about depth, you look at quarterback, you have three guys. Three guys who I think could do pretty well. You have two awesome running backs. The receiver depth is crazy good. Um, Even the tight end end depth now with the two additional walk-ons is great. And uh, having... Um, you know, having that tight end depth is great. You're looking at the defensive line. I thought they played well. Baker Pritchard looked great. Uh, Kalani Vakalomelo, if I pronounce that correctly, he was, he was Va- good. Vakalomelo. I was close. I was close. <laughs> and then who who wasn't there? Craig Evans. You know, he's going to be coming in later in the spring. 
Yeah, and he's going to be a uh, an impact performer. Uh, linebackers are deep. We were talking uh, right before we started recording the podcast about how good the secondary is. You know, Jaden yes. Grant, a guy who's a walk-on, he might be starting opposite of Xavier Crawford. And then you have Jay Irvine, Sean Wilson, and this guy named Christian Wallace. Not sure if you've heard of him. <laughs> I, I sure. love the safeties and Jalen Moore. I was a big Jalen Moore advocate uh, last year at, um, as you had uh, Devin Hitman Chappelle and Brandon Arnold. And Jalen Moore was kind of that uh, third safety when Chappelle moved down to the nickel when Oregon State just had a ton of injuries. Chappelle would move down to the nickel and Moore would step in at safety alongside of Brandon Arnold. So, I mean, they're just deep all over the place. And I think the offensive line was solid. The fact that we're not talking about them that much is a good thing because there weren't issues. So, I mean, looking across the board and – Bowl game or bust, I think is uh, it's definitely Absolutely. looking like a bowl game right now. I mean, getting closer to you know looking at seven or eight wins for this team. I couldn't agree more, Mike, with pretty much everything. Took the words right out of my mouth. Hundred uh, percent agree with everything. You know, there. we need to have a disagreement on something so we can just have like <laughs> a, a first take argument or something, oh, like, a, like some good old Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith arguments because Ooh. we pretty much agree on everything. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, I guess. Uh, that's why we work well together. <laughs> so um, I think we covered most of the stuff about that spring game. Let's move into some women's basketball talk. You know, you look at they're in the Sweet 16 right now. All they got to do is just win two more games and they're in the Final Four. Um, just kind of puts things into perspective how close they are to getting back there. So FSU's up this week, uh, this weekend uh, in Stockton. You'll be there. What are you expecting? Wow, Mike, you know, you, uh, it really is, it's a, um, it's going to be an absolute battle. You know, we, uh, you know, uh, I know you didn't necessarily cover Oregon state last year, Mike, but last year, Oregon state fans will know the Beavers were quite spoiled with their path to the final four last year, not just because they were a good team, but just kind of the way things shook out. The two teams they played at home, Troy and St. Bonaventure weren't, it didn't even give them a, a scare worth, you know, they breezed through Gill Coliseum. Then they went to the Sweet 16 and manhandled DePaul. Just absolutely crushed them. Wasn't even a game. Then your first real game game was when you played Baylor in the Elite Eight and made it to the Final Four and then obviously lost to UConn. This year, the Beavers struggled with Long Beach State in the first round, handled Creighton. You know, that was still a tough game, but they played a lot better. Now you go up against a three seed in Florida State, who is one of the top teams in the ACC has um, loads of talent all over the place, it's going to be a very, very tough game. And I think Oregon State is going to not necessarily be, I guess, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to say exactly how they're going to shake things out, but Florida State is just a really, really good team. They have uh, a guard, Mike, that's 5'11", that can dunk. Shaquilla Thomas can dunk 5'11". Um, that's one of the most crazy things I've heard of. And I heard it today was they have a guard who could dunk. I mean, anybody that can dunk in women's basketball is athletic. Scott Ruick told me today, and make sure to check out the Scott Ruick interview from today on the Beaver's Edge Premium uh, board as well as Scott Ruick kind of put his thoughts against Florida State and how athletic they were, and they remind him a lot of the UCLA Bruins. So it's going to be a battle, and I think Oregon State it's it's a it's a it's a coin flip right now, Mike. Now let's say Oregon State does get through against Florida State, and I think they'll need to play much better than they they did yes. against Creighton and in their first round matchup against Long Beach State. Uh, who do you expect to come out from the top of the bracket? 
ooh, Mikey, I might have to wait for my women's basketball piece uh, in Beaver's Edge to know that. No, um, it's South Carolina versus number 12 seed, number 12 seed Quinnipiac. And, and South Carolina almost got upset against Arizona State. Yeah, South Carolina is missing their best player. She was ruled out of the game with – ruled out of the tournament with an ankle injury right before it started, and they actually just lost one of their other – their second best player with an injury, and she won't be playing – I am actually going to be picking Quinnipiac to pull an upset because Quinnipiac is a lot like Long Beach State where they sub five at a time. They have five players that can shoot the three. They can get hot at any time, and they just run up and down and run you into the ground. So personally, I don't think South Carolina is ready for that. I think they're still getting over having their whole team being law, you know, kind of reshuffled with a couple injuries. And I think the 12 seed might be able to pull off a monumental upset, Mike. Oh, that would be something. It seems like... Um, just based on what you're saying about South Carolina and Quinnipiac, that Florida State's their toughest toughest team to to make the Final Four. Well, I was talking, you know, with uh, you know a couple of my buddies today, and just saying, you know, arguably they beat Florida State, they're probably going to make it. In, I mean, this I mean this is just me. If they beat Florida State, they're probably going to make it the Final Four again. That's just I don't I South Carolina. I'm no disrespect to them as a one seed, but right now they're broken as a team. They don't have the um, same type of um, players without their couple injuries. Arguably, they should have lost to Arizona State, who was a nine seed from the Pac-12 last week. I I just think I think Oregon State, if they can get by Florida State, they're back in the Final Four and they're back in Dallas. So this women's basketball team is absolutely rolling, as is the Oregon State baseball team that has started off the season extremely hot. Just a one-loss team right now. And uh, I have the rankings in front of me. They are the number one team in the country, according to D1Baseball.com, Collegiate Baseball, and in the NCAA RPI. And then they're the number two team in the country, according to Baseball America, Perfect Game, and the USA Today Coaches Poll. So, I mean... uh, this team is looking really good. I read an AP story that I posted on the uh, the Beaver Central message board at beaversedge.com about uh, Coach Pat Casey saying that he was even surprised about how good the RAAs, the ERAs pen this season. Yeah, I mean, Mike, there's really not too much that can be said about this baseball team other than it's Omaha or bust. This team reminds me so much of the 2000, was it, 2014 team that ran rough shot through the non-conference season, ran rough shot through the Pac-12, earned the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. Again, we're upset by the UC Irvine Anteaters, and that brings up some bad memories for Beaver fans, including myself, as that team was loaded with uh, MLB talent, you know, including guys like Michael Conforto, Dylan Davis, several pitchers that are now in the pros, so on and so forth. You know, this team reminds me a lot of them, but I think this team's even deeper. The thing that I do question about this team from time to time is can they get the consistent hitting? Their pitching's going to be there all the time, especially when they get Drew Rasmussen back. They will be nigh unstoppable from the mound and the bullpen standpoint. And joining us now on the Edge podcast is Adam Gorney, the Rivals.com national recruiting analyst, uh, mostly handles West Coast recruits and uh, I believe is the lead on um, rating those prospects out West. So um, obviously Oregon State recruits a lot out West and California and in their home state and out in uh, Arizona. Just, I mean, really all over the West. So bringing in Adam Gorney to talk about some 
Oregon State recruits. And uh, the most recent news is uh, the Beavers landing uh, two commitments, their first two pledges for the class of 2018. There was cornerback Deshaun Wilson jumping on the board, as well as uh, defensive tackle Isaac Hodgins. So, Adam, what do you think about those two prospects? Yeah, Wilson is an interesting kid because uh, he went to the same school as Addison Gums, who signed with Oklahoma. Uh, you know, he's about six foot six one, a long cornerback, uh, aggressive kid who could come up and hit, and also you know cover cover the deep ball really well. So I like that pickup. I was a little surprised he committed so early um, because his recruitment had really just started to take off. Uh, a lot of schools were getting involved, and the coach at um, at Stellar Prep. Uh, uh, Addison Gums' father, Desmond Gums, uh, was really pushing him out and getting him noticed. So it's a big pickup for the Beavers, getting him in uh, early, getting him locked up, and he could be a special kid down the line uh, in that secondary. And then what about Isaac Hodgins, the you know big defensive tackle? Yeah, uh, he had been at a rivals camp before, obviously connected to Isaiah Hodgins, so that's a big thing um, because I expect big things from uh Isaiah Hodgins for years to come. Isaac Hodgins is a big 6'1", 285-pound defensive tackle. I think could probably even add a little bit more weight uh, to his frame and probably get to Corvallis around 300 pounds. So he's an aggressive kid, kind of a mauler inside. Uh, another nice pickup. And, and keeping Isaiah was huge in this recruiting class uh, for a lot of reasons and, and for his talent. But uh, getting his brother, definitely a nice pickup uh, for them early on as well. Now, Isaac's currently an unrated prospect. You know, have you had the time to kind of review that film and, and uh, you know, going to make a decision on where he's going to be ranked soon? Yeah, the, the way it kind of works with the rankings this early, uh, you know, we, we see a ton of guys during seven-on-seven seven camps and during their junior seasons, and we get a start, you know, starting out point, a feel for those kids. So, um, you know, I would probably place him in the mid-level three-star range, a kid at a, you know, a primo position a talented kid who can do a lot. So uh, it's going to fluctuate a lot. We're going to see a lot more of them. There's going to be, uh, you know, many more evaluation points for these guys. So, uh, you know, that's kind of where he's going to start. I tend to be a little bit more conservative starting out on guys who I haven't seen a whole ton. Uh, but then, you know, if they continue to prove it, can certainly move up the rankings. Now, you mentioned Isaiah Hodgins, of course, Isaac's older brother. Uh, he committed to Oregon State as just a, a, a normal four-star receiver. And then you gave him a big bump into the Rivals 250, uh, and he finished out as the number 165 overall player in the country. What was the reason for his rise in the rankings? Yeah, uh, you know, as he continued uh, to go to camps and seven-on-seven -seven events, he, he was just really, really good and dominating guys who were ranked ahead of him. And so as it, as it was called for, he moved up uh, the rankings. I loved his height. I loved his length. He could get down the field. He made tough catches. Uh, he did all the things as an outside receiver uh, you were supposed to do. And it's so if he was beating higher-ranked four-star kids uh, on the outside and doing it regularly and consistently. Uh, that's what I like to see. Anybody could have a really good weekend at a seven-on-seven. -seven. But what we're lucky with out here is that they have camps and seven-on-seven you know, every single weekend. So you see these guys a whole lot. Um, you know, I was just convinced he was one of the better wide receivers in California. And so, uh, you know, you move him up the list and then and he kind of settles in, uh, you know, right where he did in the end there. So Hodgins is obviously a big signee for Oregon State in the class of 2017. When you look down the signee list, what other recruits that Oregon State got kind of stand out to you? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting group. Uh, the kid Colby Taylor, who had broken his leg and didn't really do much his senior year, 
really never got that bump in the rankings to four stars, but he was started out as a high three-star kid, very talented wide receiver. Uh, you know, he had Notre Dame and some other schools on his list. That's a kid who I think, you know, hasn't been talked about a lot just because he's been injured, uh, but, but could be someone special down the road. And then David Morris is the in-state linebacker. Uh, a lot of Pac-12 schools wanted him. I loved him on film. I'd never seen a whole lot of them uh, in person, um, but uh, excellent film, a linebacker who goes all over the place, makes a lot of tackles and a lot of plays. So those are two guys, along with Jeffrey Manning, a big uh, defensive back who can play corner or safety. And, and I'm always intrigued by the um, by the uh, JUCO kids. So, uh, you know, that's those, those are guys who you don't really know a whole lot about. And honestly, once they leave high school and go to junior college, you sometimes forget about them and how good they were. Um, so, so guys like that in the class um, could be really big additions, like a Craig Evans out of Yuma, Arizona, six four three ten defensive tackle. That sounds like a kid to me that's ready to come in and contribute. Absolutely, and you mentioned Jeffrey Manning is a a good signee for Oregon State out of California, and you're based in California, so you know a lot about those uh, recruits in California year in and year out. So, how key is it for Oregon State to go in and get top guys in California? It's always big because there's such a big talent pool. And I remember years ago that, uh, you know, when Mike Riley was there, he was flying planes over games and doing a whole lot of recruiting tactics to get kids. And it was paying off. People were really paying attention. And kids were looking at Oregon State a lot more. Uh, a lot of big-time kids took visits up there and were serious about them. And you have to stay engaged because, uh, you know, Washington is coming down and getting their guys, and Washington State does a good job coming down and getting those smaller receivers that work in that offense, and everybody comes in here. So uh, if you're if you're not really engaged and really going hard after these kids, then they have plenty of other options. But um, Oregon State's done a really good job of doing that, uh, continuing to do that, and they must continue to do it because not only are the Pac-12 schools coming in here, but, uh, you know, Alabama came into California and got the number one player in the country last year, Najee Harris. Ohio State came into Southern California and got the number one offensive guard in Wyatt Davis. Um, and Oregon State is probably, at this point, not going to get those kids. They're shopping in different stores, as coaches like to say, but there are plenty of talented kids um, who who they can go after uh, they can beat in an Arizona State or an Arizona or a Washington State on a lot of these kids. Um, and so to stay engaged and to be involved, you know, heavily uh, in the Inland Empire and in L.A. Uh, is, is going to continue to be very important for this staff. Awesome stuff there from Adam Gorney uh, talking about the 2017 class for the Beavers and a couple of the early 2018 commits that Oregon State has. Uh, definitely Early on, it's looking uh, like it could be a, a great class for Gary Anderson's bunch there. Um, let's move into our questions from the podcast. We have some really good stuff here. Uh, first question's from Morheeg uh, for me, and he would like for me to rank the QBs as they sit, and where will I project them to grow by the fall? So just based on the spring game, I'm going to put... McMarion 1, Luton 2, Garrettson 3. And honestly, those could be interchangeable. I mean, I mean, I think you could argue with me that Garrettson could be the 1, and I'll disagree with you. But, I mean, it's a, it's a fair argument. You know, I, I don't think I would call you dumb for making that argument. I think I still have to... Just, just based on the spring game, I have McMarion 1, 
But looking at everything big picture, I have Luton one and projecting them to grow by the fall. I think Luton will just get even better. Like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, McMarion impressed me throwing the ball down the field. And, um, you know, he's mobile and he does all those things right. But I just don't think he has as high as a ceiling as Luton does. And I just think as Luton gets more comfortable in Corvallis and with the offense and just uh, becoming a team leader, I really expect him to um, assert himself as the guy. Um, and that'll be interesting to see in fall camp. Um, will Luton come out as the number one guy to start fall camp during practice? I think so. Um, but you know that's going to be something interesting to see. What do you think about that, Brendan? I think that's a very fair assumption, Mike. Uh, I'm going to stick with my guns that I said all along. I think it's um, Luton one and McMarion two A and two B, or McMarion and Garrettson two A and two B. Um, Luton just showed me too much. <clears throat> excuse me, with being able to throw a deep ball that has been non-existent in the last two years under Gary Anderson. And that's not a, a knock at Garrettson or McMarion. They can throw the deep ball from time to time, but not consistently. I know you mentioned McMarion looked a little bit better with it in the spring game, but that's one that's one game. Luton's had the deep ball working for him all spring, and the other guys have been airmailing guys, not being consistent. And that concerns me for this Jason Phillips passing at heavy offense. Yeah, that's definitely a great point you brought up. Like I I'm just – really basing this off the spring game, but you were there for the entire spring practices. So um, you definitely have a bigger picture to look at. So, um, you know, Luton definitely had the most consistent of the spring, and that's what you've been putting in your practice reports all along. Uh, next question from Morheg is, um, and we, we talked about Jaden Grant earlier. Uh, how long do you think it will be till he gets a scholarship, and uh, do you expect him to be an impact player this, uh, this fall? Impact player, absolutely. I think he uh, has a very good chance, Mike, of starting opposite uh, Xavier Crawford, especially with the way he played in the spring game. Uh, if he's not starting, he'll be one of the first off the off the bench. And um, I really like what he brings. He brings physicality. He brings toughness. Um, you know, for those of you who don't know, which I'm sure everybody does right now, he's the son of former Portland Trailblazer Brian Grant, who still lives here in the Portland area and is. You know, that means he's got some really, you know, he's uh, athletically, you know, very athletic gene-wise. His dad was a tremendous athlete and was a tremendous player for the Blazers. And I think you kind of see his tremendous athlete in his son as well. And if I had to guess, I think Anderson might give him a scholarship before the season starts, Mike. Yeah, I mean, it just kind of depends on if, if he has one available. Uh, when I was doing my scholarship distribution chart, um yeah, you know, I have him at 85 or 86. Kind of depends, and I was trying to do some more research on the on the kickers, and uh, that was kind of my uh, I was kind of getting stumped up. But um, it's a it's a full roster right now, so yes. I'm not sure where one would open up. But you know, these things happen, transfers happen, um, so that that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, we have a question from a couple of questions from Hail the Flat Tail. Is our defense Pac-12 ready? And if it not, will it be with Gosh, this is a tongue twister. I'm going to start over. Is our defense Pac-12 ready? And if not, will it be with the additional players such as Craig, official like a referee whistle? You'll have to listen to the uh, podcast with, with Craig Evans for uh, me and Craig talking about that. Um, will it be uh, a Pac-12 ready defense with Craig Evans? Um, I think it's Pac-12 ready right now, you know. Uh, and then Craig's going to come in and um, he's – 
going to step in. I, you know, I don't know if Craig Evans is going to start just because those other guys are established, looking at Alu, uh, Adon, and, and Pritchard, and Kalani. So, um, Pies and Savea, too. Of course, yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a deep group. But having five good defensive linemen in a 3-4 scheme, uh, being able to rotate in and out, I mean, that, that's pretty scary. Well, Mike, more than anything, is, is you look at the teams. What do the, the good teams have? And in the Pac-12 with the spread, you have to have depth. It doesn't. I mean, you can have great guys. You know, there's great guys in the Pac-12 this year that were game changers on defense the last couple of years. You know, there's the DeForest Buckners, the Solomon Thomases, the you know the guys on the defensive line that are really great players. I think Craig Evans could be one of those. But you look at the really good stout defensive teams. They're able to plug up the middle with big guys like Evans, and then when he needs a breather, they can bring another guy in, and that other guy is just as good as he is. And that's how you're able to shut down those spread offense teams. Uh, with that being said, I think the defense is packed to ready because they didn't graduate anybody really other than Caleb Salo and Devin Chappelle. And they've had good replacements there, uh, perhaps, in my opinion, maybe even better replacements. And in that regard, I think the defense was packed to ready last year. I think they could potentially be packed to elite this year, Mike. So, Brennan, another question from Hail the Flat Tail. Is AP joining Dahl as a man amongst boys, and what's your impression of him right now? Oh, absolutely. He's um, the scariest-looking player, right? Was that what it was? Yeah, I would not want to run into Artavis Pierce in an alley uh, <laughs> at all. Artavis Pierce is, uh, like I mentioned before on a podcast, the dude's bicep is as wide as my is, – or as big as my head. And Artavis Pierce, um, he, is a, he is a man among boys because he just hits the hole so hard he is – but, but perhaps the tr- best thing I like about him that he maybe even has over Ryan Nall, Artavis Pierce might have the best hands on the team hmm. as a running back. His hands are tremendous, and I think that adds an element to him in the screen game and the RPOs, the run-pass options that haven't even been even touched at just yet, and flare screens and running and you know little pitches and so on and so forth. So my impression is that that one-two punch, they can stay healthy. I'm thinking, depending on how much they throw, both guys, I'm saying 700 yards each. Sure. At least. Yeah. Uh, very impressed with, with our Tavis Pierce. I mean, both are young guys, too. You know, you have a, a redshirt junior and a true sophomore, so uh, it's, it's a great-looking backfield. And a uh, question from Hard Rock fans, sticking with the, the running backs. He says, uh, I see we have a clear two deep at running back. Of course, the Nolan Pierce I am not convinced of the third. Do you see Calvin Tyler as a viable third? Can he pick it up that fast? Uh, I think with Jalen Bailey and Kieran Yancey, that uh, one of those two guys will be the number three back. I'm leaning more towards Bailey at this point. I like Calvin Tyler, but I, I don't think that he can pick it up that fast and be a true freshman coming in during the summer and, and be the number three guy above Jalen Bailey, who is a senior. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's hard to say. Um, I think that one of those guys will come in and play. I don't think here and Yancey will figure in. I think it'll be Jalen Bailey. If he say, it, it, I think it'll be Jalen Bailey, and I haven't really looked at the film of Calvin Tyler or B.J. Baylor, um, but I know we saw last year where Ryan Nall was banged up, Artavis Pierce was banged up, and that third-string running back, all of Tim Cook, was called on in that game against Washington and was the workhorse. So injuries happen. And I think the Beavers absolutely need to be ready. Is Bailey a Tim cook? Uh, 
No. I don't know. Put him in a game because I've seen him in practice. Yeah, he played well in practice, but I don't know. That that That's tricky to me. Yeah, I love Tim Cook and that Washington game. Um, really an unsung hero of the season. Uh, I mentioned this in a, a previous podcast. That Washington game, uh, he didn't even have that many carries. I believe it was like maybe 20, but he had over 115 yards against a Washington defense. Obviously, it was one of the best in Pac-12, uh, and he had a, a touchdown as well. Um, another question from Hard Rock Fan. It appears that we are sometimes playing a 2-4-5 scheme. Do you think that will be enough to get pressure on the QB? So 2-4-5 scheme. Uh, is basically uh, the the Beavers' nickel scheme. So you have uh, six um, six guys in the box and five defensive backs, two down linemen, four linebackers, uh, two being inside linebackers, two being an outside, and then uh, two safeties and three cornerbacks. That's your five in the back end. Um, the thing about the three four defense that is so great is you have those two outside linebackers who you need to be great in pass rushing situations as well as being able to drop out in the flats and cover a quick screen or uh, a running back dump off pass. So, I mean, it's a very versatile package, the two four five. So it, it, I think it just depends on, do you get the pressure from those two down defensive linemen and what are you looking the outside linebackers? What are you looking for those guys to do? If you're just going to rush with two, you know, good luck. Um, so it really just depends on the down and distance. But uh, I think this is actually a scheme we saw Oregon State uh, run a lot last year as well. Uh, when you're just playing a 4-3 and you, you're kind of limited to having those four down linemen at all times, but when you have uh, the versatile outside linebackers, you can really open things up. Uh, next question, I, he, Hard, Rock Rand, Hard Rock Fan 1 says he sees Villam and Hodgins and Jarman as starters. I believe he's kind of factoring out Seth Collins, um, just, just assuming that he's not ready. Otherwise, then it's <laughs> it's going to be uh, probably Hodgins on the outside looking, and I would say I would like Villam uh, and Collins on the outside with Jarman in the inside. So he asks, who who would you like after that? Hmm, uh, that that is a tough one. Hawkins, uh, for me, I mean, yeah, obviously I'm a big Seth Collins guy. Um, I really think that if he plays, he might actually be able to take a spot away from Jarman. Uh, I really do. I I think it could be him. Another person we haven't really considered that played well last year and actually took over for Jordan Villeneuve was Timmy Hernandez. He was kind of banged up in spring. Got to keep an eye on him as well. And then Andre Bowden played well. Uh, again, Bradford and uh, and Hawkins. Uh, almost said Xavier Crawford, but Xavier Hawkins. Um, I like Bradford. I like Collins, and I like Hernandez. In I, addition to those three guys, I think Bradford has the highest upside of, of that group we're talking about. Um, and ooh, I'm not sure I can say that over Seth Collins. Oh no, 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 no! I'm saying more of your Timmy Hernandez. You know, oh, Hawkins. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I, I just talent wise. I'm putting I'll put Bradford up there, you know, with with any of those guys honestly. I mean, true. I think Collins is the most athletic of the group. I mean, how many receivers can uh, step in as true freshmen to play uh and start at quarterback? So, um and arguably, and arguably Seth Collins at quarterback in 2015 was better than most of the production Oregon State Oregon State got from the from the position last year. Yeah, you won't so, get an argument from me about that. So, I mean, Seth clearly has some athletic ability and Again, we wish him the best of luck in his recovery process. And I could be purely speculative. Seth Collins could never play football again for all I know. I don't think that's the case, but we just don't know, Mike. He's a wild card. 
So we have our next question from JPost12, and uh, this is what he asked us. A lot of a lot has been talked about the freshmen that will have impacts this year, but what returning players do you see making big jumps and either get on the field after not seeing much of it last year, or if they saw some time on the field, will, will they turn into much more productive players? The ones that stick out to me right away is on the defensive side, the linebackers, they played last year, but I think they're going to be elite this year, and that's Manasi Hungalu and Bright Aguebu. Bright Aguebu did not play this spring, and Manasi Hungalu looked like a man amongst boys out there. He would be held out of certain drills just to get the younger guys' experience because Anderson's like, wow, this dude's just on top of everything. So linebacking core, those guys, um, I'm looking to see what Jay Irvine and Jalen Moore can do after kind of their seasons were cut short by injury. Um, I'm also looking to see what Christian Wallace can do. That dude's going to have an impact. Um, i trying to think of guys that played sparingly last year. It's going to be a big impact. What about Joe Robinette? I He was held out of held out this spring. So, or one of the guys that was limited, rather. Limited but, but I'm just saying, I think Bright is definitely a starter at outside linebacker. And I think opposite of him, Joe Robinette is a good bet. Because, I mean, when he played, he was good. Yes, he could. And like, I believe he played one or two games and then got hurt and was out for the rest of the season. So, Oregon State just had so many guys that would play one or two games and then just get banged up. So that would be interesting to see. Uh, offensively, I'm excited to see Sumner Houston make the adjustment from D-line to center, Mike. Yeah, he's been doing a fantastic job there, and I think uh, his story's been uh, – it's, it's gotten a lot of press. But uh, I wrote a story about five beefs ready to impress. Uh, one of them, it was Hamico Rashed, uh, you know, another linebacker that's – that was highly touted in the class of 2016, as well as Keith Wetzel, another guy I really like uh, from the state of Florida. So, I mean, we we just keep talking about all of these guys. I mean, just so much depth. It's it's like, you know, just I mean, just look at the outside linebacker position. There's just so many guys that are just battling for two spots. I mean, it's uh, I mean, of absolutely. course they'll rotate in, but uh, just just in terms of starting spot, I mean, it's it's a really deep team. And the more I talk about them, the more I like about this team. So our final questions for uh, from MKB for you, Brendan, uh, and his questions about the offensive line. He says it can, appears a consistent starting group is emerging. Will any of the incoming players challenge for a starting position? Uh, and I think mainly we're looking at uh, the, the couple of junior college offensive linemen that the Beavers got. How is Oregon State's depth at offensive line? Do we have a Pac-12 too deep? I would say yes right now. I think the depth is not a concern. If there's some, I think they're pretty set in stone with the five they have. Um, one person I liked, uh, Mike, was uh, Justin, Justin Saddlemyer, is that how you say his name? Yes. Yeah, I really liked him coming in as a JC guy. I think he has a potential to be there, but I think there are too deep. Uh, they didn't have any issues, sometimes even having three deep at positions. Offensive line should be fine. Um, I guess if there's – other than Saddlemyer, I'm not sure there's anyone who's going to come in and challenge for a starting spot right away. Yeah, there's Clay Cordasco, but uh, as, a, as a junior college offensive lineman, um, you know – But I do like Saddlemyer, though. Yeah, yeah, Saddlemyer's a big guy, six six seven three oh five yes, around like there. That. So, yeah, it's I hard not to he, like that. I think the only person that maybe uh, is a possibility of moving on the offensive line, maybe Trent Moore, or maybe these Gus Lavaca and Fred Lowina are pretty much locked in there. Um, Sumner Houston's pretty much locked in there. Mm-hmm. Blake Brandell. Yeah, think, and then Blake Brandell played extremely well. 
So, I mean, I think Trent Moore might be the only guy you can move, but he played well moving down the stretch, too, That's in good. spring. <laughs> like, I, I'm uh, beating a dead horse here, but this is a great problem to have when you have all this depth. Yes. And uh, the last part of MKB's question, uh, how much of a recruiting priority will offense and defensive line be in the 2018 class? I would say this for every single recruiting class, for every single college, offense and defensive line it's extremely important. It always has to be a priority. Uh, you can't have a, a bad class of offensive linemen, defensive linemen, because throughout a football cliche, uh, the game is uh, the, the battle's won in the trenches. You know that that's yes, where, that's where it all starts. I mean, we can talk about Luton throwing downfield, Hodgins, and hand the ball off to Null. But if you don't have time, then uh, you you know you can't do much. And on the flip side, you can have this great secondary, but if you cannot get pressure, I don't care who the secondary is, uh, throw Richard Sherman back there, but they're just not going to be able to cover if you know the quarterback has six or seven seconds to stand back there. So um, it's going to be extremely important uh, getting a guy like Isaac Hodgins on the, uh, the defensive line. One source called him a war daddy. I think that's a pretty good ringing endorsement for a defensive lineman. So... Uh, definitely, uh, definitely a good recruit that uh, you know Adam Gorney said you know could be uh, a, a five, I believe a five point five three star to start off and can always have the the chance to move up as he gets more exposure. Thank you everyone for listening to the Edge podcast. Uh, we might take a couple week break or so uh, just because we've been recording a lot of podcasts the past uh, few weeks now. So uh, definitely appreciate checking out. Give us some feedback of what you thought. Do you agree with everything we said? Do you disagree? Definitely let us know.